Welcome back to Focus on the Light, a very delayed episode of Focus on the Light, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast. Thank you for everyone who has had patience with me in the sporadic nature of these episodes in the weeks that have missed or in the delay of them. This has been a really busy time of my life with everything happening right now. I'm really excited to talk about Exodus chapter one through six, and I don't want to bore you with the details of my life, but just to briefly clue you in on some exciting things that are happening um, for the longest time, I have wanted to be a seminary teacher since I was in, in ninth grade in junior high. And just some things lined up in life where that didn't happen. I ended up pursuing a different route with work. Um, and then at the start of this year, my wife and I, just some things were happening and I felt like I, my life wasn't moving in the direction I wanted to, that five or 10 years from now, I wasn't where I wanted to be. So I, I quit my job. I'm currently unemployed and pursuing teaching seminary. Things with that are going really, really well. So part of the busyness is that I've been, been attending the necessary trainings and classes I have to go for seminary, preparing lessons for them. This coming week, I'll be teaching two seminary classes at an actual high school, which is really exciting, but also nerve-wracking. So prayers in that regard would be really helpful. In addition to the all, all the other many things I'm doing, like trying to find work, preparing mission prep lessons with my wife. So I assure you it's for good reason, but I appreciate your patience in the way that these episodes have been inconsistent. Hopefully, as this week and the next kind of ends the the craziness and things hopefully calm down a little bit, they can be more consistent. Anyway, that's enough about me. That's not what you're here to hear. Let's talk about Come Follow Me, this week's section, Exodus chapter 1 through 6. Now, I missed last week, which was the end of Genesis, chapter 42 through 50. Um, now, there's one part that I wanted to comment about that. That was Joseph and his brothers coming back together in Egypt and their life kind of continuing. They inherited the land of Goshen and all of that stuff which is important into the beginning of Exodus. But I just wanted to comment briefly on one section of that, that is Genesis chapter 50, specifically the Joseph Smith translation of that. If you did not read the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapter 50, I highly suggest it. It's in the index at the back of the Bible. I highly recommend it. This is when Joseph, not Joseph Smith, but Joseph of Egypt is dying and kind of giving one last word to his children and reading the Joseph Smith translation, it is full of great detail about Moses and Joseph Smith and the, the vision or the promises that Joseph of Egypt received about Moses and Joseph Smith, how they would come through his lines and, and the work they would do involving his people. And one of my favorite lines was the promise of the Lord to Israel when he says, I will remember you from generation to generation. Now, that's really important in what happens in Exodus that we'll get into but it's also important to us. We are gener thousands of generations away from Joseph, but we are still Israel. And so it's important to remember that the Lord still remembers us, especially as we get into Egypt. There's The Lord remembering Israel is key to everything that happens in Exodus, especially these first few chapters, this week and next and the week after that. That all happens. Moses' journey, the parting of the Red Sea, that classic story happens because the Lord remembers Israel. And we need to remember that that same memory that the Lord had for those Israelites in Egypt, he has for us. So now let's talk about Exodus. Exodus is the story of Moses and the children of Israel in Egypt and their exodus from Egypt. In Greek, exodus means a departure. And this is the departure of the children of Israel from Egypt. That hence the name of Exodus. Now, if you remember in the last chapters, which I did not cover, 
Joseph is in Egypt, and his 11 brothers and Jacob, their dad, all come to him with their families in Egypt, and Pharaoh, who loves Joseph and is so grateful for him, gives him and his family the land of Goshen, which is like the prime real estate in all of Egypt, to inherit. So they go there with all their flocks and their sheep and and all their wealth, what they had, and they inherit the land of Goshen with their large family. At the time that they move into Goshen, there's about 40 of them total. And then, of course, as years go on, that 40 grows exponentially. So Exodus is 400 years, roughly, since then. 400 years since the time of Joseph. And we see that Joseph and his entire generation has passed away. And we have a new Pharaoh who, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, is described as knowing not Joseph, who knew not Joseph. So he's, he's not, naturally, it's been 400 years, he's not acquainted with the Israelites the way that the previous pharaohs were, or as the Hebrews, as he calls them. Throughout this episode, throughout this beginning part of Exodus, the Hebrews and the Israelites, those are the same individuals. A Hebrew, which just means someone who came off from a far land, and so the term Hebrew is just what the, the Egyptians called the Israelites. So if I say Israelites or children of Israel or Hebrews, it's all the same people. So this Pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph, he's worried about Israel because they are becoming a very mighty generation, uh, a very mighty people, excuse me. Um, in verse nine, he says, and he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. And he kind of outlines to them, you know, we want to be careful in how we deal with them. We want to deal with them wisely because if we're not, our enemies will come along and they'll join our enemies and they'll overthrow us because they've become a very large nation over in Goshen, which is cool because that is already a fulfillment of the promise that the Lord gave to Jacob or Israel earlier in Genesis chapter 46. In Genesis chapter 46, verse three, God is speaking unto Jacob and he says, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt for I will there make of thee a great nation. And it's true. He, his posterity becomes a great nation in Egypt. So they're a great nation full of people. And Pharaoh has this plan to stop this people from joining their enemies and overpowering them. And that's to turn them into slaves, which kind of seems like a dumb idea. You know, if you don't want someone to join your enemies, shouldn't you befriend them instead of making them hate you? At any rate, he turns them into slaves. We see this in verses 13 through 14. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick, and all manner of service in the field, all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor, meaning it was hard labor, it was horrible. Despite this, though, because of the Lord's promise to Israel, they keep growing. In verse 12, it says, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiply and grew. So despite this glorious idea that Pharaoh had to make them their slaves, it doesn't stop them from growing in people and in number. So Pharaoh has to go a step further to the point of killing male babies. He tells the midwives who are responsible for the birth of all the Hebrew children, he tells them when this, a child is born of a Hebrew, if it is a male, kill it. If it's a female, you can keep it alive which is just horrible. You have to be a pretty evil person to be willing to kill children. But in this situation here with the Pharaoh commanding that male boys are killed, male boy babies, we have the first example or first case of brave women in Exodus obeying God against harsh odds, which is a consistent theme in Exodus. And this is in verse 17 of the first chapter. We get Shiprah, I think is how you say your your name, and Puah, 
who are the two midwives, and how they were unwilling to kill the babies. It says, But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And it's great to see how later the Pharaoh gets mad at them, but then verse 20 says, Therefore God dealt with the midwives. So they were preserved by God for their faithfulness. But despite their goodness, there are still some other midwives who are still killing these baby boys. And then the Pharaoh goes a step further after he finds about these two midwives who are not and tells his soldiers, if you see a Hebrew young boy, throw him in the river, but only preserve the females. So they're doing everything they can to weaken the coming generations of the Hebrews. Horrible, horrible people. The Hebrews are in a horrible situation. They're inherited this great land, but they have this horrible Pharaoh who is making them slaves and then killing any of their male children. Just horrible situations to live in. But once again, we get a brave woman of God, and that's Moses' mother, Joshubed, I think is how you say her name, Joshubed, uh, who is a Hebrew, right? So she's a descendant of Israel, and she gives birth to a son, but keeps him alive for three months in secret. Despite the Pharaoh trying to kill all the baby boys, she keeps him alive. But at three months, she couldn't keep him any longer as a secret, so she tries to preserve his life by putting him in a basket and sending him off into the river. Now, the mother, also being smart, sends her daughter, who's Moses' older sister, Miriam, to go and watch the basket in the water. And as she's watching this basket, eventually she sees the Pharaoh's daughter, another brave woman in the scriptures, find the basket and has mercy on this child and decides to keep it. Um, right here in chapter 2, verse 6, And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Right? So even though she knows it's a Hebrew, she had compassion on this cute little baby. And then Miriam, who's Moses' older sister, sees this Pharaoh's daughter pick up Moses. And so she kind of runs on up to her and says, um, let's see, where is it? In verse 7, then said his sister to the Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And the Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him in unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. So Moses was able, a tender mercy in this situation is that Moses' real mother, Joshubed, I think is how you say her name, was able to nurse him past the point of three months until he was a little bit older, until he no longer needed to be nursed and then had to give him back to Pharaoh's daughter to become her son. So although she had to give up her son, she was able to preserve his life and have at least a section of time with him, which I think is really tender. So Moses becomes a son, or I guess technically a grandson of Pharaoh as he's raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Years later, Moses has been raised as an Egyptian. We don't know how much he knows about himself, but I'm pretty sure he knows that he's a Hebrew. His mother, or, or his adopted mother, so to speak, knew it. I'm sure she told him that he was a Hebrew. And so he goes to visit the Hebrews in their bondage and in their slavery. This is when he's Egyptian, kind of an Egyptian royalty. And he sees one of the Egyptian taskmasters beating two Hebrews and tries to protect them and f- ends up fighting this abusive Egyptian. And in the process, ends up killing the Egyptian and then buries him in the sand because he's so nervous that he just killed an Egyptian, so he buries him in the sand. 
Pharaoh, being who he is, finds out about this and wants to kill Moses. So Moses, fearing for his life, flees into the land of Midian, which is outside of Egypt. While fleeing to Midian, he comes again to a well, this is a consistent theme, and meets a beautiful woman. Her name is Zipporah. He then goes with Zipporah and her sisters to meet her father, ends up working for her father as a shepherd, and marries Zipporah, and they have a son named Jershom. This is all in Exodus chapter 2. And as Exodus chapter 2 finishes, we see the presence of God. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, right? So the king who was trying to kill Moses died. Already we see God preparing the way for what Moses is going to do. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage, and God heard their groanings. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Or as the footnote says, he knew them. He was aware of them. And their suffering, although difficult, their cries go up to God. And, and like I said, God remembers his covenant people from generation to generation, including hearing our cries in difficult situations. And although there's a period of endurance, he does deliver us. So now we get into chapter 3. And this is Moses out, you know, being a now son-in-law of Jethro, being a shepherd, just keeping care of Jethro's flock, minding his own P's and Q's, working his father-in-law's sheep. And he, he, while doing so, he goes up into a mountain and sees a burning bush that's burning without the bush being consumed by the fire. And in chapter 4, verse 2, it says that he sees an angel but the footnote reveals that that actually means he sees the presence of God in this bush. So Moses, already being astonished with this burning bush and then seeing and feeling the presence of God, he gets kind of nervous and he goes to turn away. And in the verse four, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And this is great. We see this wonderful interaction between Moses and Moses receiving his calling from God and all that he does. So I'm just going to start in chapter or in, in verse four, which I just read and continue through there because I don't want to skip anything. This is, this is going to read the entire interaction between God and Moses in, with the burning bush because there's so many great things in here. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. So he's in a holy place. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Before we go any further between Moses and the Lord, this is important. I have surely seen the affliction. I know their sorrows. The Lord knows us. The Lord sees our afflictions. He is aware of us. And so because of that, in verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey and unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me. And, I've all, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. This is something that clearly Moses would care about. He, we saw earlier that he had compassion upon the Hebrews, or the Israelites, 
And then so the Lord tells him this plan that he has to deliver him. Great plan. I'm sure Moses is all excited for it. And then we get into verse 10. And come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, as of Egypt. So it's all great. This is a wonderful plan until the Lord tells Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt, to Pharaoh, to free my people. I'm, I'm going to send you back to the place that you just fled from for your life. So Moses, naturally feeling inadequate and a little worried, kind of spre- expresses this to the Lord. And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children out of Israel and Egyptian? And this is, you know, who the heck am I to lead these people? I'm, who am I to do this great work? And the Lord replies, certainly I will be with thee. And, this shall be, and then he gives him a promise. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And he promises him, remember, this will be proof that I am with you. When you bring them out of Egypt, you will have a service with God on this mountain again. You'll have an experience with God, which he does later with the Ten Commandments. This is the same mountain. So that's a promise that the Lord gives him, saying, remember this. So despite Moses' feelings of inadequacy and worry, the Lord promises that he will be with him. And we get this great interaction later between Moses and the Lord as, as the Lord reveals himself as Jehovah. So in the Old Testament, when it says the Lord, it's usually referring to Jehovah, who is Jesus Christ. So that's why this, the scripture is talking about Jehovah of the Old Testament and the Messiah of the New, both being Jesus Christ. And, and so we get that verse, I am that I am. And he tells him, this is who I am. You will go and tell this unto the Israel, Israelite uh, elders, and they will know that you have been sent from God because of the way you will refer to me. Um, I've seen their afflictions. You are going to bring them out of this land. And we see that as the Lord tells Moses his, his plan at the end of chapter three here, not only does he say, I'm going to bring them out of Egypt in the process, I'm going to take away the riches from the Egyptians and give them to the Israelites and take the Israelites, not just out of bondage, but to a better land a promised land flowing with milk and honey. Not only is he delivering them from bondage, he's taking them to a place that's even better. And we see this great interaction of the Lord continually showing Moses that he is going to be with him and that he's going to help them. And this is in chapter four here. He says, but they're not going to believe me, nor will they hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto me. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thy hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it onto the ground, and he cast it upon the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod unto his hand. So he shows him the first miracle, that his staff is able to become a snake, and a staff again, showing the power of God to give life. And for the purpose of this miracle, that they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the guys of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Then furthermore, in verses six, the Lord tells him to put his hand into his cloak. He pulls out his hand from his cloak and it's covered in leprosy, skin disease, it's fallen apart. He puts his hand back in his cloak and pulls it out and it's whole again. And then in verse eight, and it shall come to pass if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. So he says, if they don't listen to you, show them the first sign. If they don't believe that, show them the second sign. And if they don't believe the second sign, and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon dry land. 
So the Lord says, if they don't believe you after the two miracles, I'm going to turn the, the water into blood. So Moses, believing in that, I love to see, although Moses feels inadequate, he doesn't doubt the Lord's ability to work through him. He just kind of doubts himself a little bit. So this, this interaction between them continues in verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither he, heretofore, nor since thou spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. He says, you know what? These miracles are great, but I can't even speak. I'm, I'm slow of tongue. And the Lord's response is, who made the mouth of man? Who maketh them dumb? Have, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Again, promising, I'll be with you. Promises that he'll provide a mouthpiece to him who will be Aaron. And Moses and Aaron become a great team. And the Lord promises that he'll, be, he'll teach him what to do. Uh, and I love how this interaction kind of ends in verse 17. And thou shalt take this rod in thy hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. In essence, he says to Moses, take this and go. I've given you power that you shall do miracles. Clearly, the Lord is showing Moses of the capacity that the Lord sees. Despite Moses' feelings of inadequacy, the Lord saw who Moses truly was and who he could become. And I love the journey of Moses' struggle to believe in himself. It isn't doubt in the Lord, but just the feelings of inadequacy and personal doubt. And he continually receives encouragement from the Lord and great promises of help. But what allowed Moses to receive that, to receive that help, to receive those promises of miracles, is his honesty with the Lord. He clearly told the Lord how he was feeling. Moses appropriately expressed his worries about his own capacity for leadership, and by doing so, the Lord was able to make him a more capable leader. The Lord provides solutions to all of Moses' worries. But Moses had to ask first. The Lord didn't say, oh, Moses, hey, by the way, I know that you're worried. Here's these miracles. Those encouragements, those promises of great miracles came to Moses after he expressed his true feelings to God and asked for help. And this journey of Moses believing in himself is something that I've learned a lot about this time around that I've never recognized before. And it continues through Exodus in remarkable ways. I can't wait to get into more of it. I want to talk about it now, but it will, it will be better if we save it for the chapters that it applies to. And so I, I just love that. Prepare yourself because while faith in God is paramount, there's also a weakening when we don't believe in ourselves. And I love how Moses becomes more capable leader as not only he trusts in God, but in his, his own capacity and in his ability to allow the Lord to work through him. Now to finish out chapter four, uh, in verse 21, it talks about how the Lord said unto Moses, when you return to Egypt, um, you're going to do these wonders. Pharaoh, which I have put in thy hand, but I, will, but, he will, but I will harden his heart, and he'll not let the people go. The footnotes reveal that the, that the Lord doesn't harden Pharaoh's heart. The Pharaoh hardens his own part. And that's an important distinction. It's not something that the Lord is doing. It's Pharaoh's pride and unwillingness to let the people go. So Moses obediently follows the will of the Lord. He, he takes his wife. And, and his family, his son, and heads out to Egypt. And on the way, we get in another great example of a woman of God, Zipporah, his wife, in verses 24 and 25, specifically the Joseph Smith translation. This is, again, is in Exodus 4. So check out the Joseph Smith translation in the appendix. Moses is being rebuked for the Lord for not circumcising his son and obeying the Abrahamic covenant. If you remember way back when Abraham initially received this covenant, that was one of the first requirements was that all new that all men 
born into this covenant or who become a part of it needed to be circumcised. And so Moses has not done that. His wife, in her great obedience, simply takes a sharp rock and does it herself to her son and then calls Moses a bloody husband and says that he's been a bloody husband unto her. Such simple, immediate obedience, which is a great example. I love Zipporah is a wonderful woman and a great wife to Moses, and I, I love that example of her. The story continues, Moses and Aaron go to the Israel priests, as the Lord told them, before they go to Pharaoh, to go to the Israelite elders and tell them everything that has happened. And these Israelites rejoice and believe that God has sent them, that God has heard their cries and sent Moses and Aaron to deliver them. But before their deliverance, before things get better, it gets much, it gets much worse for them in chapter 5. This new Pharaoh is upset at Moses' request to take the Hebrews. So he makes their work harder and punishes them for then not being able to produce as much as they did when it was easier. So they have to make brick. Then in making brick, they use a lot of straw and hay, and they were previously given that, right? So when they were making the brick, the the hay and the straw was provided to them. Well, he says, well, take that away. Make them gather their own straw, but make them produce just as much brick. So, you know, the work increases, and the demand for output stays the same, and they're unable to do it, and they're punished for it. So kind of justifiably, the Israelites are upset with Moses and express their frustration. You know, you have been a horrible leader unto us because you've made our situation worse. Naturally, Moses kind of doubts himself and doubts his calling from God. In chapter 5, verse 22, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Why did you send me here? Things are getting worse. You're not delivering anyone. And as chapter 6 starts, because that's the last verse of chapter 5, as chapter 6 starts, the Lord speaks unto Moses. And in essence, summarizing it, putting it in my language, says, just wait, Moses. Go remind the children of Israel about all these promises that I've made to them and their fathers. Tell them I know them and I've heard their cries. Remind them of the promises that they will receive. And then chapter six continues. We get some lineage. We get some explanation of all the people and all the descendants of Joseph and his brothers. And the chapter ends with the Lord telling Moses one more time to go speak to Pharaoh and request for the Israelites to leave. And the last verse of this chapter, this last verse of this section for this week, again, is Moses doubting himself. And Moses said before the Lord, behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? So if we read the Joseph Smith translation, and Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of stammering lips and slow of speech. How shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? That's how it ends. Moses still struggling to believe in his capacity to do what he's been called to do. And I think it's an important distinction that it is never a doubt in the Lord's capacity, but frequently a doubt in his own. We know Moses as the great leader, the great prophet who delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt, who parts the Red Sea, one of the most famous miracles in all of Scripture, outside of the Savior. People know of the parting of the Red Sea. There's been movies made about it, great ones of that too. But anyway, he doesn't see himself as that, not yet. He's got a long way to go. Luckily, the Lord sees the potential of Moses and keeps working with him. I can't wait 
for the coming weeks of Come Follow Me as we see Moses' journey of believing in himself and seeing his potential and living up to that. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. So thank you for listening to this. If you think that you're thinking of someone as you listen to this who could use some encouragement, some support in their belief of themselves and how God might be able to work with them in their circumstances, they don't have to be called as a prophet to bring a people out of bondage for the Lord to work miracles through them. And if they could use some, some encouragement the way that I know I can, please share this with them so that they can learn about the Lord's ability to magnify who they are. If you want to share uh, Focus on the Light, there's a link in the show notes. Listening to podcasts is weird because people use all different platforms to listen to it. So there's a simple link where they can go and find their individual platform to listen to it if it's different than yours. Additionally, they can just search for Focus on the Light wherever podcasts are found. This is a remarkable journey of Moses, and it's a great way that it starts with the Lord continually reminding him, I will be with you, and continually reminding him and through him the children of Israel that he remembers them, and the covenants made to them, and that he hears their cries. And because of that, he will work wonders and miracles to deliver them, even if the Pharaoh hardens his heart. He will send signs and throw out his wrath upon Pharaoh so that the children of Israel can be delivered. I know that the Lord hears our cries and delivers us. From whatever bondage we find ourselves in, he delivers us. One of his names, in addition to Jehovah, is Savior. He literally saves us. And I bear testimony of that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Focus on the Light. Depending on when the next episode comes out, either the next one or the one after that, I will have taught my first seminary lesson for real, which is really, really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm very nervous. So again, any prayers would be appreciated. Thank you for everyone who's listened to this. Again, please share it with someone who could use the encouragement of the Lord's ability to magnify them. And uh, I'll talk to you all next week.